we're number one. No, we're number one on this week's Always Listening. Welcome to Always Listening, where your hosts, I'm Joel. I'm Jay, known as Pod Vader, although if I could come back as anyone, I want to be Pitbull. Because quite honestly, <laughs> that dude lives the life, right? Uh, have you heard Pitbull's remake of Africa for, I think maybe it was for Jumanji or something? I don't, I don't remember what movie it was for. He did a, he did a remake of Africa by Toto for a, a movie. That, that's, that's part of my point. It, 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 it doesn't matter what he re- he could remake everything. It it wouldn't matter. He's Pitbull. He he can do whatever he wants. He could he can walk down the streets of any town, city, whatever, all dressed to the nines. He's got, you know, his entourage behind him. He's got beautiful women following him. He is Pitbull. And he's got the bling he's bling like, and the cash, homie. He's like the uh he's like the American version of Psy, right? Totally Gangnam style. It, Totally, he can do whatever he wants. He is like ah, Pitbull. I'm telling you right now, Pitbull is living the life. Where's Pitbull's podcast, Jay? You and I, we got to hit him up on Twitter. One of us needs to start uh, co-hosting the Pitbull podcast. I, I, I mean, he would be. I mean, we we were talking right before we started the show about giving out political endorsements. Could you imagine Pitbull throughout a political endorsement? Left and right, telling people how to live the life, how to how to how to follow the the path of the pit, the swing um, that would happen in the polls when Pitbull speaks. It, it would it would be impressive. It would be impressive. Uh, Jay, we've got a boatload of news to get to today, so let's try to get it all in if we can. Also, uh, a little pat on our back. 450 it's not 450 episodes this is the fourth season this is the 50th episode of the fourth season of always listening uh that's what this means but we have you and i have been doing this for a full year now and uh yeah i I think that's pretty cool and we only missed like two weeks in that whole year so i'm pretty excited about that um let's start with our first story the title of this episode we're number one no we're number one James Cridlin and Chartable addressing the question, who's really number one in podcasting? Uh, The question, of course, has been raised multiple times. Everybody still, I say everybody, many people assume that Apple is the more um, popular or the more dominant directory because of its just gigantic years-long head start, effectively. However, there have been lots of arguments made that if we look at new trends, if we look at current users, if we look at, you know, month over month statistics, maybe Spotify is a bigger piece of the pie than we're accounting for. Uh, What did Chartable come up here, uh, up with here? Well, and a lot of this was borne out that there were a couple of companies that had done some polling that had stated Spotify was the clear and concise number one platform for podcast listening. Not the case. According to James Cridlin and Chartable, uh, they work together on this one. Uh, Apple Podcasts is number one in terms of unique devices and unique downloads. Spotify does make a strong showing at number two. When looking at unique devices rather than unique downloads, Apple falls from 60% of the market share to only 43%. Uh, Spotify 
their biggest showing is in the number of unique devices at 20%. So that's sort of where the gap narrows some. Uh, but in terms of percent of unique downloads, uh, Apple is still at uh, over 60%, whereas Spotify is below 20%. Probably, it looks, according to this chart, probably at about 10% or less. Now, what distinguishes a download? Well, Chartable is using the definition given to us by IAB version 2 uh, of what exactly a download means. However, Spotify doesn't necessarily download a podcast. Apple automatically downloads to any subscriber. Spotify only downloads when the user requests the download. Also, when the user, like me, who is now using Spotify on a regular basis, just hits the play button on Spotify, I'm not downloading the full podcast. I'm only progressively downloading what most people would refer to as streaming the podcast while listening to it. So my activity wouldn't count as a download in regards to what mm. is being done here. So I, I don't think that's true, though, because if you listen to more than just a few minutes, what happens is what, what my understanding of the way that they reconcile these progressive downloads, they know your your podcast media host knows that Spotify is First of all, this didn't used to work this way because Spotify was not passed through for anybody once upon a time. They would host your files themselves. That's not true now for many media hosts. Assuming your media host is one of the ones that does have pass-through access to Spotify, then this is the way that it works as I understand it, Jay. Your media host sees the connection when you click play on your podcast. And so it's like, okay, this IP address has accessed this much of this file. And then later in the day, you pause it and you start again at lunchtime or something. It goes, oh, that IP address is now accessing a further portion of that file, reconciles all that data over the course of the day, and eventually it shows up as Jay has downloaded it once, you know, that episode once or something. But but again, I, technically you're right in that the way Spotify works is it is not caching the full episode, which is how iTunes, or excuse me, Apple Podcasts still works. Correct. So, and you are right, as I'm reading this and getting further explanation as to what counts as a download, uh, that is 100% correct. Now, also in IAB version 2, similar IP address can only download, uh, can, will only count as a download once in a 24-hour period. However, Let's use that example that you just said. If I listen to a podcast and I'm only listening to a portion of it and it's enough of the portion to count as a download and I wait 24 hours to finish said podcast, I'm going to get a second download. I'm going to count as a second download of that particular podcast, even though I'm still listening to the same show just 48 hours later than when I first started and it. And, you know, I, I do understand because we in the podcasting industry, especially people who have not dug into the numbers in a, in a hardcore way in the past, we do have this habit. We even say it, Jay, right? Like uh, if you get a 200 downloads per week for your show, wouldn't you be nervous if 200 people showed up every week to listen to you? So we equate a lot of times downloads to individuals. That's not true. I think this counting, what you just described, if you listen to part of the show today, part of the show tomorrow, it's going to count as two downloads. That's how basically every other medium would count your interaction radio, 
TV, newspaper, et cetera, et cetera, the way that they count their subscription and their listener or their readership, et cetera, et cetera, it would be the equivalent of that. If you interact with it today, if you interact with it tomorrow, they're going to count that as two. I, I do think it's slightly confusing because of that history that we have of equating individual downloads to individual people. Average downloads per device, uh, this gets broken down for us too. Apple Podcasts, still 7.18. And again, that's because all the podcasts are being automatically downloaded for subscribers. Spotify, 2.73, which is not even close to being number two when we're talking about average downloads per device. Number two is Overcast, 6.37. So they must have a similar feature that subscribers will automatically get their podcast downloaded uh, onto that particular listening device. Next is Pocket Casts at 4.53. Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, and actually, I missed. I missed. Podcast Addict. Well, I missed Stitcher and and Podcast Addict because uh, they didn't go out two decimal points. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Stitcher is actually number two at 6.7. Overcast number three, 6.37. Podcast Addict 5.6. Um than Pocket Casts. The one place that ranks last in average downloads per device uh, is not a surprise or shouldn't be a surprise if you listen to this show or any other show about podcasting. It's Google Podcasts at 1.98 as they only have 3.44% of unique devices and 1.35% of unique downloads. Yeah, it's interesting to me, even as widespread, I mean, Google Podcasts is now available on every Android device. That's the every modern Android device, I should say. And and going back several years because of the way that they run the Google Play Store and the way that they uh, load apps through it. And yet, still, Overcast accounts for, you know, twice the unique downloads that Google Podcast does. Overcast, by the way, iOS only. So it can only be on Apple devices, the same devices that would have the Apple Podcast app. Um, You're absolutely right, Jay, about the downloading features. So if you look at those um, top numbers, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, all of those are what we consider traditional podcast apps, even Stitcher, although they are, you know, they've been different things at different times. But currently, the, the app is designed like a standard podcast app. And one of the things that that offers is the ability to either do you want to download everything auto- automatically and, and, you know, have your shows loaded up so that you can listen to the latest episodes anytime? Or would you prefer to stream? Most of those devices have a, or most of those apps, I should say, have a checkbox, right? You can turn it on or off, a toggle, and you can choose. So it makes sense that the average downloads per device are always going to be higher for those because some amount of your user base are going to be choosing the automatic downloads. I do. On my on my phone, I have it set to download all of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. On my iPad, I have it set to stream them when I hit play because my thought is I don't want to use my mobile data all the time. My iPad traditionally is in the house anyway or connected to Wi-Fi. So, I'm not going to be using cellular to stream there. Um, anyway. Anyway, this should hopefully put an end to this. Spotify is bigger. Apple is bigger. We all knew Apple was bigger anyway. It's just... it. When you put out a report that Spotify is the biggest podcasting platform and you state it in that manner, you ruin your credibility. 
you, you become less reliable as a source of information, at least a good source of information. Now, I'm not arguing with their polling, right? They easily could have polled a sample of people what that all said that they listened to Spotify more than they listened to Apple Podcasts. That's 100%. But that's the way that the information has to be presented, understanding the global nature of the information that you're trying to present. A sample <laughs> will get you in trouble. And oftentimes, I wonder that about a lot of things that happen. You know, again, going back to the political conversation that we were, that we were having, uh, you know, Joe Rogan has endorsed Bernie Sanders. Uh, we'll just throw it out there. Mm. And the Bernie Sanders camp is mulling whether or not they want to accept or or reject his endorsement, uh, which I was laughing at. Like, I reject your endorsement. <laughs> well, too bad. I endorse you anyway. Uh, the, the idea that podcasting is mostly left-leaning, again, goes towards where is most of the audience? Most of the audience is listening to an NPR-type podcast. What is that audience? It's mostly left-leaning. But that's a, with all of the podcasts that are out there, NPR is how many podcasts do they currently have? Like 50, maybe? I don't, I don't know what their total library is, but it's 50 out of what we're going to tell you later on is 800 plus thousand podcasts. So you can't come out and say, well, podcasting is mostly left-leaning just because a majority of audience listens to this one little tiny segment of the overall podcast listening spit. You have to couch that comment with all sorts of different qualifiers. You're absolutely right. It was it, it's interesting to me, Jay, you, you, again just on that Sanders and and Joe Rogan story. It's interesting to me how central podcasting is to American pop culture now. Yeah. You know, this that would not have been an issue 10 years ago. Wouldn't no one would have imagined a podcast endorsement uh being something that would have waves out into the political spectrum. It just wouldn't happen. Now, literally every candidate for president uh, other than Donald Trump has been on not one but multiple podcasts, right? Like they've all been making the rounds. They're like, we got to get, a, we got to get all the folks hit um, because it is a major force in American media. the The other thing that I'll say about this this uh, chartable article, which is great, it's in the links as always. You can always find our links uh, in the show notes. I think it is amazing the rapidity with which Spotify has taken the place that they have in the podcasting ecosphere. Look at the unique devices. That's the one that's the most telling to me. 42.72% of unique devices come from Apple Podcasts. 19.89% come from Spotify. They are halfway there. And what's even already. and what's even more profound about that, who is the largest radio company in the United States. By the way, another couch statement. All of this data is mostly U.S. centric. Uh, that's something that Chartable makes note of at the end of this article. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's just. Yeah. Who's the largest? Uh, iHeartRadio is Correct. the largest company. The largest. Their push in podcasting. Every time I listen to the radio, which happens to be more frequent than I'd like to, that I prefer, uh, you hear in their commercial breaks, the number one place for podcasting, the number one source of podcasting, iHeartRadio. I can't believe that iHeartRadio is as low as it is, especially in this chart. It's 
astounding to me. I think it's I think it's a little self-selecting though, right? Because the people who were interested, the people who wanted to jump into a new medium have long since done it. Nobody that's listening to iHeartRadio or very few people that are listening to iHeartRadio are interested in another outlet. They're getting the content that they want already right there through the radio. I think that's what it's about, Jay. Whereas Spotify is converting people who've never thought of podcasts but are already new media participants, um, right? Perhaps, but I look at so I look at what iHeart has done in in the world of podcasting, right? So you have Ron Burgundy, who's a major, you know, I mean, if we're talking about Q scores, uh, and if you need to know what a Q score is, I'm going to give you a very bad definition of it, but I invite you to Google it. But basically, a Q score is your ranking in pop culture. It's a pop culture ranker based on interviews with a small sample of Americana uh, and and where these people rank in terms of their brand noticeability. And so you have Ron Burgundy, who is obviously well-known across many uh, different types of people. Uh, that is one of their largest podcasts. You have, uh, when I talk about listening to the radio, it's most of the time with my wife when I'm driving with her in the car to go get breakfast or something, and she's listening to Elvis Duran in the morning. And he's got a ton of podcasts, and he talks about those podcasts all the time. And he obviously has a very large and very loyal audience as he's syndicated across the United States. And I can only imagine that their podcasts, which some are repurposed parts of his radio show, but others are original content, are doing enormously well in terms of the number of listeners to those particular episodes. And that's why I think, when again, it's not just Elvis Duran in the Morning that are creating podcasts on the iHeartRadio platform. It's every iHeartRadio station is doing something like this, that there's a local team, and of course, iHeart just fired a bunch of them. <laughs> there's a local team that is creating a show on a local station, they're creating a podcast for it. And that ends up on the iHeart. So to me, I'm, I'm surprised by the number. Uh, when I look at iHeart, I would have, I would have suspected iHeart would be much larger at this point, not necessarily to the extent of where Spotify is currently. Um, but I would expect them to be bigger than less I mean, than 2%. They're not as big as overcast. Yeah. They're not as big as overcast for instance, you know? So it's, it, that's, that is, I think, and uh, Jay, I think it's one of the reasons why they continue to have these layoffs like they just had a week ago or two weeks ago or whatever, because they haven't figured out how to land in podcasting yet. I, they've got this giant apparatus. Uh, you know, I think about I think about swingers. You're like a bear. You're like a bear with these claws. And you're like, how do I kill this bunny? What do I do with this bunny? <laughs> you're so money and you don't even know it. <laughs> You know, iHeartRadio is like, we've got all these broadcasters, uh, all this technology, and a huge listenership across America. What do we do with them? <laughs> you know? It could be. It's like, I mean, that, that very well could be. You collect their money. <laughs> you collect their money. Anyway, all right, let's move to our next story. This is going to be short, but it is, I think, noteworthy. Um, this is from 9to5google.com. Uh, Google Podcast adds timestamp sharing, tweaks player UI, and latest, latest beta. Uh, so the one thing, there's an account switcher now in the latest beta of the Google Podcast app. That's very, very cool. Uh, but also, the big new feature for us as podcast producers is 
a, a an ability to share an episode with a timestamp, so to share out to the current time. The one hiccup for me, Jay, is even in the app, they don't make this as easy as Overcast does. In, in the Overcast app, anytime I'm listening to anything, at the bottom of the screen at all times, there's a big share button. Uh, excuse me, it's actually at the top. It's at the top right-hand side. You hit that share button, and I get several options. Share link. Share link at current time, share link at chapter start, or share clip. So the share clip, we've talked about this before, where Overcast allows you to make the little videos now and share out with, with an image, basically. Um, that's even cooler to me because that's it's more digestible on Twitter and Facebook than just sharing, oh, you should listen to this. If you share a video and people can just click it and they can hear the audio that you want them to share, I think that's imminently more doable and more usable. But the Google Podcast app, to get to the share from current time, you can't just do it from the player. You have to actually go to the episode uh, page, the specific episode page, and then suddenly there's an option to share with current time. But I will say, you and I were talking, Jay, before we started about how blogs and printed material, published material, is so much more permanent it seems, than podcasting. People can say whatever they want to for years and years on a podcast, but if they haven't written it somewhere, nobody else seems to repeat it. Um, this is one step closer to that. Every player should have this built in where you can share to a specific timestamp because that is the only way you're going to... Honestly, man, if you tell me, boy, this is a great episode about you know, the national parks or whatever... If I don't listen to that show, I'm probably not going to take it in, especially from Twitter or for Facebook. I'm not going to take that link in and do anything with it. But if you share me a minute of audio or 90 seconds of audio and you say, this is a great bit of information. This is really cool. Check this out. I'll, I'll click it. I'll listen to it. And then if it moves me, maybe I'll go find the actual podcast and add it in my own app of choice. So uh, kudos to Google. I wish they were a little cleaner with the way they implemented this. Yeah, the way I wrote the note, and you'll probably see it in the show notes because Joel doesn't edit. I say darn these baby steps. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you something about this that really drives me crazy about this particular feature. Uh, for those of you who don't know my bona fides, here they come. I started podcasting back in 2005 at ESPN when podcasting wasn't a thing. I was the guy that asked, what is podcasting? And I was told to go find out what it was. And so I found out, and then we created a whole slew of podcasts. While I was at ESPN, working with uh, some very intelligent people and some very intelligent uh, programmers, we created a timestamp. Now, it wasn't something that we shared with the public. It was something that we used internally. And it was literally, Joel, a line of code. It's like, it's not very difficult. It's something that we just added a couple of extra characters and words to the end of a link. And then the time <laughs> in seconds, which was annoying because doing the conversion uh, when you're dealing with an hour long or an hour plus long <laughs> podcast, you're like, all right, well, that's how many seconds? But in any case, that was it. It was, it was very short and very easy, very concise. And we used it internally so that when we did post things on the web specific to a player that was being discussed about at that particular point in the podcast, we could just take that link, embed it, and it would open the link. It would open the player right to that particular point. It's not something that is difficult to do. What is taking so long for everybody to get on board with this? I don't. Are they not talking to the right people? Were the programmers I 
I was working with at ESPN really that far advanced in terms of in terms of how we share audio. I don't I don't get why it's taking so long for something like this to happen. I worked at Blog Talk Radio, which was acquired by Spreaker, which became Voxnest. They have chapter markers in their in their shows, and you can share a chapter mark, and it'll jump right to that particular point in the podcast just by clicking on the chapter marker. You are a big fan of 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 that app. <laughs> Uh, ferrite is what I use, uh, and and when we export our show, our show specifically always gets chapter markers. Now we have for quite some time. Uh, I export them with ferrite. The chapter marker just has basically the title of that segment that we're, you know, like the headline of the article that we're discussing or something. And that way, if you're listening to the show. I do it for two reasons. One, I know that folks that listen to our show are industry professionals, a lot of them, and so not everything is necessarily info that they need, right? You may be an expert in something, and you may think our advice and commentary is going to be beneath your understanding of it for this particular topic. So you skip that topic altogether. I'm fine with that. Likewise, though, Jay, I think a lot of people use our show as a reference. They listen, and then they might hear one or two things in the show that they're actually going to implement in some way. And so they're going to come back to it over the course of the week. Let me go back and find that link. Sometimes that's just show notes. Sometimes that's still listening to it and re-implementing re exactly what you said or what I said and taking it in again. Chapter markers make that easier. Like, why not do it is my thing. It's just so easy. Well, and and then and then take it that step further as a podcaster – uh, everyone asks, how do I grow my show? How do I promote my show? And you have to get into the why. Why is this person going to listen to your particular show? On our show right now, we're going to talk about one, two. We're talking about, well, how many bullet points do we have in our outline right now? One, two, three, four, five, five six. Looks like we have like six. And if I'm going to promote our show and the why you should listen, I don't necessarily have room in a tweet to make a comment about all six. However, knowing the way that the Twitter universe works and how the algorithm shows my content, I can make six unique tweets about each individual item that we are going to discuss in this particular show. And what would be great is if I could share it directly to that link. So now I can talk about, hey, we open up the show talking about is Apple number one or is Spotify number one? And our second point is Google Podcast has made this timestamp thing available in beta, which is great, but the way that it's implemented, not so much. Uh, yeah, how could they make it better? You know, I mean, that that could be its own tweet. We don't, you and I don't do this nearly well enough. I don't tweet about this show uh, had, enough at all. I've had Kelly implement it sometimes, uh, but, but she's not been consistent about it either, uh, my wife. So, but you're absolutely right, Jay. We could go point by point. We could each make a separate tweet about every single one of the segments throughout every week, every episode. I know Elsie does this sometimes. Elsie Escobar for the feed with Libsyn, she specifically has referenced how she goes through the show notes and tweets out about several of those things each week because otherwise people aren't going to see it on Twitter. You've got different audiences, which interestingly, Jay, takes us to our next uh, article, as a matter of fact. Are you oversaturating podcasts? This is from OxfordRoad.com, uh, and I love this question. Uh, the, the opening paragraph is perfect. When a podcast works for a client, we lock it in for a year or longer if they let us. But the question is always asked, if we advertise on a podcast so regularly, won't we oversaturate the audience? 
Boy, this is really interesting information to me, Jay. Um, now, I think you've got some questions about maybe their uh, methods on how they gathered the information. But the the overarching idea, they say, let's take a show that has 100,000 downloads on a regular basis. Okay, So that's obviously a pretty big show compared to uh, most of the podcasting space. But again, the numbers work even at smaller levels. 100,000 downloads per show is not... 100,000 people, the same 100,000 people every week, because not all listeners will download the next episode. By their estimation, they say that approximately 20% of listeners in a given week will not download the show the following Repeat week. Repeat that. Which means if you're 20% of current listeners on any given week will not download the following show, the following week's show. That's important. That's, that's their... That's their estimation. Now, they say, how does that work? If your numbers stay consistent, what does that mean? That means that every week you've got roughly 20% new listeners. And these charts are so cool. They show the, the uh, fall off projected original listeners from the first episode that you advertise in all the way out through week 52. And then likewise, projected new listeners or cumulative new listeners from week one all the way out to week 52. And then they show you the total listenership. So this is what's interesting. If you've got a show that has 100,000 downloads per episode and you advertise on that show over the course of a year, they're saying over the course of a year, you're going to reach almost 200,000 people, not 100,000. Because each week, it's a different set. Now, they're not saying that the people who are listening, 20% of the people that are listening to your show this week, are never going to listen again. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that people come and go. Which, Jay, it makes perfect sense, right? Don't we do this with television shows? But 20%? I mean, to me, the number seems high. I don't know, man. I, I don't think it is. I, now, I will say this. I think that number is probably more true, closer to accurate for very large shows than very small shows, right? Fair. It, when, you, when you're creating a show that is a niche, inherently, those people are going to be more devoted and more devout, I think, on a week-to-week basis. But when we are talking about big, uh, widely accessible uh, for everybody, quote unquote, shows or for the mainstream, I don't think it's absurd to think that, you know, 15 to 20 percent of the audience comes and goes on a week to week basis. Again, we're not talking about Game of Thrones here. Right. But let's talk about the masked singer or the voice or the bachelor. Do you watch every episode? Do you watch every episode? I do. Or do you come and go throughout the season? I, I, none of those um, shows. I don't watch. I watch zero of those shows. <laughs> but <laughs> I watch zero of those shows either. But but you know, the point stands. Um, you know, I do think there's. I, I'm I'm not like this. But as we say so many times, you and I are not the average podcast listener, right? You and I are a very special subset of podcast listeners. The the point of this is that saturation for podcast advertising is basically not a thing. <laughs> and it also shows you that it would take a huge uh, length of time to become saturated with your message anyway. The telling thing to me, Jay, is how many shows have a Squarespace uh, advertiser advertisement for years and years on a on, on end. Uh, I listened to the talk show with John Gruber, which is a show about Apple specifically and Apple technology. He jokes almost every time Squarespace sponsors. He goes, I, I sometimes can't believe that 
there's anybody left to sign up. But they keep they keep buying ads because because every time they do, a bunch of you people go and finally find Squarespace. So I got to tell you about it again, you know. And this is why there are new people that find our industry. There are new people that find our medium. There are new people that find our show every single week. Um, so take it very specific and and use an example from our show. We've had a few advertisers who have done one-off or two or three episodes for their product or their service or their event. And then we had um, Andrew, uh, Drew Ackerman, with the Sleep With Me podcast, who came in and said, I want to buy 11 weeks. I want to go all the way to the end of the year. And what that meant was that everybody that listened to us over the fall and the early winter heard about Sleep With Me at some point. And that can't be said for all the other products or shows that were advertised on our uh, podcast. They've they've taken all of this math and they've calculated how many exposures of your ad to the listener they are most likely to have heard. So based on the data, to generate three ad exposures on average, you'd need to run nine weeks at a frequency of every other week. So that's your fifth insertion into that particular podcast. So if you're running on a podcast at the recommended frequency of every three weeks, after an entire year, the average listener has only been exposed to your ad six times. How crazy is that? That's, so that's sort of the point of, and and think of this. So just based on the average of every other week, it's going to take you nine weeks to get three ad exposures. I've heard Todd Cochran throw out, it takes three exposures before somebody will convert. So yeah, that's, that's standard from the radio industry as well. We, you have to have three impressions on a listener for the message to even take hold at all. So if you're talking about, it's going to take nine weeks, you're talking about two, two months and a week before your ad campaign has even delivered any sort of return on investment. Now, I don't know what this means to, I don't know if this ends up scaring off the advertiser or if this is a great argument to for the advertiser to be spending more money and, and to run longer campaigns in podcasts. I don't know which way this type of information would fall. Ultimately, they do mention in here that the data would also suggest that the industry may want to rethink how we look at CPMs, given that reach mm. is not truly equal to the downloads. We could look at metrics like cost per thousand reached, but ultimately you're getting more than you pay for. So this is uh, this is a, this is an eye opening to me. That's the key. You're getting more than you pay for. And uh, advertisers, companies who are using podcast advertising know that already, Jay. Across the industry, the interactions, the response to podcast advertising is better than basically every other medium. It's the reason why the advertisers that are there love it so much. And I think this is an example of how whatever result you're getting from podcast advertising, this is a, a lesson to you to double down on your investment. You know, you're, you're, you're not, however much you're spending, you're not spending enough probably because there's more there to get from that potential, um, audience. Uh, interesting, interesting it's, stuff. It's, it's, it's opening. And again, I, I do wonder where they came up with that 20% number. I like it. Obviously I think it, I think it works better in the long run for the podcaster, but I do wonder where that number came from. Cause it, they don't necessarily explain how they came to that number. And you sort of mentioned that they're making an assumption there. Um, I would love to, I would love to see that. This is, 
this an article like this I often refer to as <laughs> I've often referred to stuff like this as creative accounting, where I can make the numbers tell you whatever I want the numbers to tell you. Uh, you just need to tell me what you want the numbers to tell you, and I'll make the numbers tell you that. And that's and that's what I get to at the end. That's my conclusion about this article. Is I don't know if this information scares off an advertiser because they go, oh, that's going to be way too rich for me, or if it makes the advertiser realize, oh, I got to spend more money because I know that this audience is loyal, is going to act upon these messages, is getting to an audience that I can't reach in any other traditional form of media based on other research that this particular company is telling me. And by the way, Oxford Road is one of the largest audio advertising agencies out there. They are a huge, important part of what is happening, especially in podcast advertising, but in audio advertising as a whole. So this isn't coming from just, you know, a mom and pop consultancy that just happened to start a podcast last week. This is this is some big time information that is being told to potential advertisers looking to get into the podcasting space. Well, and honestly, uh, the rest of our show today is going to be in sort of those same veins, Jay. Uh, and I discussion about advertising technology. Um, where it's going, and how the podcast industry is responding to it. The first part of this is from martechseries.com. The link is in the show notes, of course. Why audio ads should be a part of your advertising strategy in 2020. The biggest thing that – the reason why I thought this was an important article to to talk with podcasters about is because there's a lovely little flow chart here from the IAB on how does DAST work. Now, DAST is an acronym. I got to go back into the article to find out exactly what DAST stands for. It is the digital audio ad serving template. Thank you. Uh, and so this is the flow chart. So step one, the digital audio content provider programs its systems to recognize and execute DAST ad tags. And you see the little happy dude at his computer. Doo -doo 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 -doo. And then you see the little doo -doo -doo -doo, the arrow moving on. A consumer plays audio on their player or app. Oh, okay. That's nice. The little arrow goes to the next place. The player makes a request for an ad at, speci at specified ad breaks, such as every 30 minutes or every 10th song. Okay, no problem. This is all very common knowledge. Uh, next, the audio ad vendor sends the DAST ad to the player. Okay, that's great. The player plays the ad uniquely targeted to that consumer based on user or geodata. Oh, what? Wait, I didn't add that part anywhere in this flowchart. The player tracks the ad experience and notifies the ad vendors as well as other parties specified in the DAST ad. And step five and six is where all of a sudden there's a bunch of big time players in the podcasting space sounding alarms about privacy in podcasting. And I just want you to know, one, this comes from the IAB, which is handing out podcast certification on how we're doing measurement. So that's that's one. Two, this is not an uncommon process in any other medium that is going on right now. Uh, and the best example of this is you, you go to Amazon, you buy a certain product, 
Then you head over to Facebook and you're checking stuff out. And all of a sudden there's an ad for the product you just bought on Amazon. And you're like, whoa, hello, what's this? It's a very similar so, concept here. here. You're right. You're absolutely right. Here's the top level argument for why it's different. With all of the other online marketing, the targeted online marketing that we're all receiving, our phones are tracked, our Facebook is tracked, our Twitter is tracked, our Amazon, and all those things are being connected by different companies so that they can market to us more effectively. That's absolutely true. The difference is every single one of those services that's using your data and sharing it like that and selling it like that, you have clicked a button somewhere along the line that was an I agree to the terms of service. And podcasting, because of the nature of the fact that you subscribe to the RSS feed and then the material comes to you, in standard podcast apps, there is no current process. There's nothing in the RSS feed that would allow for us to send a notification and say, here's where your data is going. Is that cool? Which means that in Europe, it's illegal. In California, it's illegal as we currently understand it. Now, there are arguments to be made that technically it's within the rules, et cetera, but that's a legal argument. Right. If people want to sue you for tracking your information, in California, it's really easy right now. In Europe, it's really easy right now. Uh, those governments could fine you if they wanted to. And so that is why this is contentious. The difference comes down to the way we interact with podcasting and the fact that third-party app developers are not going to uh, approve or overcast. Marco Arment is never going to agree to something that makes it okay for you to track his users. He doesn't want it. And he thinks philosophically that the listeners don't want it either. Now, will Apple do it? Probably because they have partnerships with those gigantic companies and NPR and, uh, uh, you know, mid-roll and all these other companies go to them and they say, this is what we need, Apple, or we're going to go elsewhere. And Apple goes, okay, because Apple likes to make money too. But, but like, that's the problem. It's, that's the fundamental difference. We're not using an app. We're not using a website necessarily when we are uh, taking the podcasts that has the ability to give us the information and to agree to the terms. That's the thing that makes this question. Except for one. There is one, and they're number two, not number one. You're right. I didn't even think about it, but you're right. Spotify, when you use Spotify, you've agreed to the terms of service. You've checked a little box, and anything that happens within the app, you're absolutely right, Jay, which is why I bet Spotify doesn't have any issue tracking what I mean you you look the Spotify statistics are a little bit more um fleshed out than most podcast hosts are it's the reason why so many podcasters wanted to get into that dashboard you're absolutely right Jay I didn't think about that so huh listen I I I I I sort of involved myself in the conversation and what I have done on Facebook with some of the bigger names in podcasting and I don't have a problem it was Todd Cochran and I said, Todd, I hear your alarm bells loud and clear. I really do. However, it, this was in response to a poll that he put. And the question was worded in a way that you really only wanted to click on one answer. You didn't want to click on the other answer because it would and it was totally against what Todd's point was. I haven't had a clear article on either side that sort of lays out 
all of the pros, all of the cons unbiasedly. It's always been, I am anti this and you should be too. And here's the reasons why never giving any of the other reasons why it's actually a good thing and vice versa. And honestly, I feel like that is part of the problem in our society today. We've mentioned politics a number of times on this show is one side only gives their side of the story and the other side only gives their side of the story. I've always approached any story that I've ever incorporated myself with as what are all of the different angles? Where is the truth? Because it, 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 it's a cliche, but the truth often does lie in the middle. It's, it's, it's a cliche for a reason because it's true. Um, and somewhere the truth is somewhere in the middle of this because it is something we are going to need to, I don't want to use the word accept, but it is something that we need to work on because it is something that mm. for podcasters to make money from advertising, you are going to need this. The more, I want to make sure that I'm wording this properly. Um, the more local that you can get, the more specific you can get. And we've talked about it in creating content. And the same thing goes for advertising. The more local and more specific and more niche based that you can get, you're going to make more money. And this is something that will help give you the information on a more local, on a more specific, on a more niche-based level to make you more money. Are there privacy concerns? 100% yes, there are privacy concerns here. How can we solve them? More intelligent people than I are going to have to come up with answers for that. So I get the big red flag. I see it. I hear it. I understand it. But I also see the benefits of what's happening on this level at this particular point. And I also see that there's one platform that's number two and growing with a bullet that doesn't have these same concerns. And they are about to start monetizing their own content. And I brought this question up last time. What will give them an incentive to promote something that is not theirs? Because they ain't going to make money off of it. They're going to make money off of the stuff that they're monetizing. Mm. Interesting. Uh, you need to check out the Martech, uh, Martech series uh, link and, and that article, especially for the flowchart that, that Jay mentioned. I think that's going to make it so much clearer to some of you who have not really delved into the uh, programmatic advertising space at all. But to me, we mostly wanted to raise the specter of this and discuss it a little bit because today, Jay, it's not often that we get news like hot off the presses as we go to record, <laughs> but that's exactly what we got today. One of these companies is actually responding to this in a really interesting way. They've laid it out in a way that other podcast media hosts could replicate and have said they hope they do. And I think that's exactly the way to do it. Interesting. This comes from rebelbasemedia.io. The link is in the show notes. But Captivate.fm, which, full disclosure, is our uh, media host. That's where Always Listening is hosted. The headline is Listener Ethics and Privacy, Introducing Full Transparency Mode for Your Captivate Podcast. Um, the, the broad, the, the headline is this. The point that you need to take away is this. Every single episode of your show notes can now be appended with a short, nicely formatted statement 
that discloses to the listener which third-party analysis tools are being used within your show. So if you're using Chartable, if you're using Podcorn or Blueberry or whatever, uh, not only will it explain that you're using those services or which of those services you're using, it'll have a link to that service's privacy policy right there in your show notes so that each listener, if they want to, can dig deeper into that, find out exactly what information is being shared and how and with whom, et cetera, et cetera. So they can, in effect, opt out. It's it's about notification. There's still, it's not the same, and I no. wonder if it'll hold up in a court, honestly. It's not a checkbox. It's not an agree. It's not a I'm opting in, but it is at least notification, which kudos to Mark and Kieran, um, the, the head tech guy at Captivate and at Rebel Base Media. I think this is a really cool idea. It should be easily implemented by the other podcast hosts too, and there's no reason why they shouldn't do it ASAP. No, there isn't, and and you're right. I I think in a court of law, it, it still wouldn't fly. Uh, I also wonder how many people. I mean, how many people really check the the notices these the privacy policies? Nobody does. And, and even if you do look at it, you don't read the whole thing because it's lawyer speak. It's like five pages long, and you just have no time to insert that stuff into your brain. Um, you you go you click you move you quickly scroll through you get to the i accept these terms of use and you click the button and you hit okay i'm i'm good uh now that's our fault right that if you didn't read the whole thing and you just clicked accept and you moved on well that's on you a hundred percent um so it is a i think this is a good first step i don't think this is the total solution but i do think that this is something uh that at least pr- provides, as they say, full transparency. It's sort of like the, hey, we're monetizing you, and these are the services that we're using to do it. Just so you know, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good first step, and you're 100 right. I think there's no reason why the rest of the industry can't adopt something very similar to this, if not the exact same thing that they're doing here at Captivate. Uh, and and then it is on eventually. I do think we need to to talk to these podcast apps about having some way to actually click a button to to make that a, a confirmation thing. Um, you've said it. Uh, you're absolutely right. Spotify is already doing it. Apple will do it sooner. Well, I mean, technically, we're already agreeing to terms of service for Apple too, right? They just probably haven't. They don't have anything in those terms of service about tracking, maybe. Or if they do, they don't have it specified like they need to for these services, perhaps. But it could be implemented pretty easily there. Um, Third-party apps are going to need to do it too, I think, eventually. I, I, I honestly, I think you're right, Jay. The large podcasts need this. Uh, the, the small part of the industry you know, it's going to be a long time before this affects us in any way, really, other than our, our, you know, our listeners are going to wonder, are you tracking me in any way? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I, it's, it's a good move on Captivate's part. Congratulations and and kudos. And I I hope more podcast media hosts follow suit. Um, I'm glad that they're out in front of this. Jay, let's go ahead and wrap up today's show. Uh, Every episode, before we say goodbye, we talk about the podcast stats for the industry from Apple Podcasts. Specifically, it's something that uh, Daniel J. Lewis with my podcast reviews service has implemented. The link for this is in the show notes. You can check it anytime you want to, but once a week, we like to look 
look in and see how things are moving. Total valid podcasts in the Apple Podcast directory, 864,422 this morning, uh, which means 28,806,240 total episodes available in the feeds. Uh, Jay, I always, we were talking about, we've hit episode 450 here. I uh, was uh, talking to a buddy of mine, another podcast editor. He's got a, a a client who is looking to put a new ad on the end of all of his old episodes. There's 800 plus in the directory just from that one mm. show. So Dynamic. when I see that 28 million number, <laughs> dynamic ad insertion. Dynamic yeah, ad insertion would really yeah. go a long way to help that, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, that just you just brought up a wonderful point. How many episodes of my other podcast have I put out there so far? Um oh, 500. Nice. Hello everybody. Welcome to 500. Now, it's way more than this because this I transferred this feed to Spreaker, I don't remember, a couple years ago. So it's way more than 5. I've done way more than 500 episodes, but since I've been on Spreaker, uh 500 episodes. Uh since I started. Yeah. What do you know? And of course, I produced way more than that at ESPN. My god. I know it was well well over the 10,000 mark that uh, Malcolm Gladwell says makes you an expert. I produced way more than 10,000 hours worth of podcast audio at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, added and removed in the last uh, week or 90 days. Added in the last 90 days, 118,811 podcasts total. And removed in the last 90 days, 23,491. Some of those are just removed because they're invalid feeds now. The, you know, Somebody shuts down their media hosting, et cetera, et cetera. Some of those are removed for actual violations of the, uh, the rules or the specifications. Um, but just in the last week, Jay... Yeah, I find it odd that they do this in batches, right? It's not a. I would I would suspect that every day new episodes get added, but no, they really do. They do it in batches. It's very odd. I find. Again, but, last week we were talking about Wednesday. There was a huge spike, like eight thousand new shows on Wednesday. This week it was six thousand shows on Wednesday, and then about three thousand and change on Friday, and another three thousand or so on Monday. Um, Interesting. Tuesday has historically been the highest traffic day on the internet, right? And yet Wednesday seems to be the show currently to launch an, or the day to launch a new show. Yeah. Well, or, well, you probably don't want to get launched on Wednesday <laughs> because that's when everybody gets launched. Um, but yeah, it is. It, I, I don't know. I find it fascinating. Uh, I would suspect that this process is somewhat automated as mm. well. I can't imagine that it's a manual process. So again, why, if it's automated, is it not happening on a daily basis? Uh, noted by Daniel, and, and I don't know if we've noted this before, it mentions that there's usually little to no activity on the weekends or during holidays, which would make sense because there's no human being working. So if something were to go wrong, it's not like they're available to fix it. Um, even though most of these human beings are working from home at this particular point, they have all sorts of alerts now. If something goes wrong technologically, that sets off their phone or whatever, and then they, they jump on their computer and fix everything. But um, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by this. This this is 100% fascinating to me. Uh, 15,000 new podcasts uh, just in the last, or, I'm sorry, 12,000 new podcasts just in the last week. I'm very curious to know what the subject matter of those 12,000 podcasts were. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's true crime, 
True crime. That's right. 8,000 of them were true crime podcasts. Exactly. 2,000 of them were sports podcasts, and the and the other uh, were uh, religious. <laughs> uh, Jay, uh, before we say goodbye, where can people find you, particularly if they're a sports broadcaster or podcaster that's uh, looking to uh, learn more about what you're doing with the Locked On Network? Podvader at LockedOnPodcast.com is the email to reach me. I'm on Twitter at the real Podvader. My DMs are open, so I'm very easy to contact. Uh, yeah, college football podcasters, I'm, I'm looking to talk to you. I've reached out and talked to a lot of you already, um, talking to more. It doesn't have to be college football, but really we focus on the two major football and basketball sports. So if you're a college sports podcaster, love to talk to you, especially football, basketball. You can find me at joelsharpton.com. I'm in the middle of moving my websites around. I had a website issue that I mentioned on last week's show. The the propodcastingservices.com domain is still tied up. It's got some issues. There's maybe a little bit of subterfuge even involved in that. It's a crazy story. I'm trying to still track it all down. But you can find my website at joelsharpton.com in the meantime. And you can email me, joelsharpton at me.com, if you'd like to reach out to me directly to help uh, on your podcast in the new year. Uh, Until next week, we have been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay reminding you, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. This biggity boy is a diggity dog. And we are always listening. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. 
and this is The Network.